Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I'm going to begin by telling you something you already know. There is a lot going on with Georgia's recruiting class right now. The 2024 recruiting cycle, we kind of knew as you got to late spring, early summer, that things would be really heating up. And here we are kind of in that moment, in that time, and that is clearly happening right now. So yesterday, off the top of our program, we spent a good bit of time kind of chatting about Chauncey Bowens, the running back that Georgia flipped away from Florida. Always fun to do that. Georgia got a chance to do that over the weekend with Bowens a really nice video that's kind of all over the internet if you haven't seen it of the moment which Bowens kind of told everybody there in Athens I'm ready to be a part of this class it was that great moment that you sort of live for if you follow Georgia recruiting and things like that and just kind of a nice uh, to see a guy like that so happy about the choice that he made and we spent some time yesterday sort of talking about that and that was a lot of fun but Georgia fans are always uh thinking about what's next you know what's going to be next as it relates to uh Georgia recruiting and pretty clearly there are some nexts in store here for Georgia right now both maybe some good news and maybe some not quite so good news so I want to take a moment here to kind of deal uh with some of this here just right now of okay so where do things stand with the Georgia recruiting class right now you know what is on the horizon what's good news that you should be aware of what it's maybe not quite as good a news you maybe hoped it should have been but it's still important to point out so let me try to frame this here this way right now here are kind of I think three important takeaways for where things stand with Georgia's 2024 recruiting class after another busy weekend here in the month of June and with some more kind of stuff still left to come in the uh, next few days let me start with the good news here so Georgia pretty clearly saw some fruit from this past weekend with the Bowens commitment but it certainly seems like they might, that might not be the only good news that we see from Georgia. There is certainly a possibility that there's more movement afoot here. And a lot of the, I guess, the genesis, the origin story for a lot of what I'm talking to you about right now kind of goes back to a story that Jeff Sintel has written at DogNation.com. And I want you to go check this out. Jeff had his takeaways up at DogNation.com of the recruiting weekend, the guys that visited, and kind of what comes next on that. And so in perusing what Jeff wrote, it kind of has framed my thinking here a little bit. And that's kind of kind of got us over the course of the next couple of minutes. And there's one photo from this past weekend that I can't quite get out of my head, which is Bowens, who commits to Georgia, obviously feeling good about that, flipping away from the Gators and doing so seeing the light in that process there was one photo that got a lot of attention of Bowens here this week standing with another running back in fact I think we may have this be able to show to you right now yeah so uh here's uh Bowens along with Dale McGee and doesn't Dale McGee look for those of you watching on video doesn't he he look awesome in this photo he almost looks like the heel wrestling manager or something like that he's got the sport coat on the uh, black dress shirt underneath sitting down relaxed uh, two fingers in the air pointing to uh, you know two national championship trophies and two very good running backs holding both of those trophies right now one of those obviously being Chauncey Bowens who we talked about the other being Nate Frazier Frazier a very interesting running back out of the state of California and it sounds like Georgia may have its sights set on Frazier Frazier may have its sight his sights set on Georgia much the same way that Chauncey Bowens just did so you're looking at what could potentially be a very intriguing stable of running backs for Georgia here in this class 
with Dwight Phillips, the speedster from in-state, already in the fold. Chauncey Bowens, who made his pledge public here this weekend, flipping away from Florida, and now a pretty big spotlight on Nate Frazier moving forward. If you read Jeff's Intel story from yesterday at DogNation.com, you see Frazier featured pretty prominently in that text. And so uh, if you're kind of thinking, well, what's next for Georgia recruiting here? The presence of Nate Frazier and the attention on him, and does he kind of make good on this picture, standing there with Dale McGee and John C. Bowens? Does he make good on all of that and eventually join in this 2024 class? That could be an interesting thing to see. Something else that Jeff Sintel wrote, and this is why you should be reading DogNation.com each and every day, Jeff gave you a pretty big spotlight on Jordan Thomas yesterday, defensive lineman out of the state of New Jersey. It seems like for Georgia right now that there's a lot of attention on Thomas. Thomas is supposed to take a visit to Michigan this weekend. It'll be interesting to see if he actually does that, just given all the buzz, all the chatter that exists around him with Georgia here right now. So if you're kind of that Georgia fan after a big commitment, Chauncey Bowens, where you're like, okay, what's next? Who's next? Who's the next name to look at? It certainly seems like if you read Jeff's intel closely at dognation.com, uh, a Jordan Thomas defensive lineman out of New Jersey, a, uh, you know, a, a, a Nate Frazier uh, running back out of California, seems like those might be the names to pay attention to here right now. So that's good news for Georgia on the heels of the Chauncey Bowens commitment over the course of the weekend. But around here, we also try to be fair and balanced and give you both sides of all of this kind of stuff when we possibly can. And it certainly seems like the thought that we had going into the recruiting weekend for Georgia was probably reinforced in some respects, at least about a couple of guys that seemed like Georgia had a lot of ground to potentially make up with and in all likelihood would not be able to close the gap enough to make a, di- make a difference in the ultimate decision that was made. One of those guys, Mike Matthews, the wide receiver. You think about Edrick Houston, the defensive lineman out of Buford. And in fact, let me give you some context here. Speaking of Jeff Sintel, who uh, wrote a great story at dognation.com, Jeff on his own program last week before the Hedges presented by Kroger was talking about some of those guys that Georgia was likely to host and the fact that right now it wasn't looking great for Georgia with some of those players necessarily, including Mike Matthews, who I think is just a dazzling prospect, so entertaining to watch, the five-star receiver out of Parkview. This is what Jeff said about the Matthews recruitment going into last weekend, and this is one of those honesty compels you to admit type situations, but first some context from Jeff on where things were with Matthews going into the weekend. Mike Matthews, terrific football player, going to be an all-SEC, all-American wide receiver. I don't know how well-positioned Georgia is right now for Mike Matthews going into that uh, official visit. When I mean well-positioned, I don't think Georgia is the team to beat or he's even the 1A, 1B team to beat right there. I think Clemson, who he just took an official visit with, is big. I think Tennessee is big. I think a lot of schools are going to catch the attention of Mike Matthews. So that's Jeff Sintel there on the idea of Mike Matthews. Hey, you know, maybe not in the world's great shape, greatest shape for him. And it seems like, once again, kind of ear to the ground, reading the tea leaves, reading specifically Jeff Sintel, it seems like that things maybe didn't change all that much for Mike Matthews over the course of this weekend. Probably the same thing is true for Edrick Houston. And I hate that. Houston's a player that I really like from Buford. He's that guy that just sort of reminds me of a Trayvon Walker. Sort of feels like he would be a perfect fit for what Georgia does defensively. But it sounds like Houston sort of sees himself as maybe a better fit from somewhere else, possibly Ohio State, I guess. Uh, but it sounds like, based on what Jeff Sintel has said, it sounds like that the needle wasn't really moved for Mike Matthews and the needle wasn't really moved for Edrick Houston all that much. So you got to be honest about that. 
one more thing in the sort of honesty compels you to admit category you know sometimes the dog that isn't barking is something worth paying attention to and if you go and look at what jeff wrote kind of recapping the uh, recruiting weekend that was for georgia in terms of kind of next moves what's happening here there's one name that you don't really seem to see a lot of chatter with georgia about here right now not sure what that means not sure where you go with all of this but right now it's interesting that when you're talking about you know stacy Sarrell's priorities and what george is doing from an offensive line standpoint and uh, jeff wrote a lot about that you know the one name you sort of didn't really see a lot right now is daniel calhoun the i would say big time prospect from the walton program here in the atlanta area there's been some chatter about calhoun potentially other places and in terms of the most recent assessment of the georgia offensive line and stacy Sarrells, it doesn't really seem like calhoun is as mentioned as prominently in that discussion right now as i sort of thought that it would be so obviously edrick houston it seems like right now it seems like he's likely to go somewhere else mike matthews right now as we said sort of seems like he's likely to go somewhere else daniel calhoun that deep rich connection to georgia sounds like right now there's some work that would need to be done north that'd be the case but it certainly seems like once again to kind of circle back to the story that jeff wrote that there is attention right now on what stacy Searles can do with the offensive line if you're looking for sort of for some of those you know what's next type situations you know you're watching for jordan thomas on the defensive line you're watching for a nate frazier at the running back spot and it seems like that that certainly stacy Searles in this georgia recruiting machine did make some impressions on some offensive linemen here this week so kind of a quick takeaway on the full state the full story for the georgia 2024 recruiting class right now for the good news Sounds like there could be some more commits on the way here very soon. Guys like Jordan Thomas and Nate Frazier would be names you would watch specifically there. For the bad news, the sort of Hail Mary attempt at a guy like a Mike Matthews or a guy like an Edric Houston, it seems like that's going to be left lacking. It seems like Georgia did not quite figure out, or or should say, did not quite you know make that connection with the Matthews or a Houston the way that they would have needed to to really kind of change the overall fortunes of that recruiting it seems like those two guys are likely destined to go somewhere else right now and we could see some real movement with georgia offensive line recruiting here in the very near future as it sounds like there's a lot of irons in the fire as we kind of try to figure out what that 2024 unit's going to look like so hey it's a busy time there's a lot going on a lot of rumors about silent commitment this and silent commitment that and who's next and what's going on uh pretty clearly there's a lot of energy around all this right now and georgia's going to get a lot of the uh, players that it wants you can't get them all even georgia can't do that but certainly plenty of elite prospects sooner rather than later we could be hearing a lot more about more guys joining in on this class of 2024 for uga my name's brandon adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans presented today by engineered solutions of georgia we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video we start at 9 45 on our first and 15 dognation.com dog nation app 10 a.m after that facebook youtube twitter twitch happy to have you joining us whichever video platform you choose to use there thanks for that or radio at noon on athens sports radio 960 the ref and as a podcast wherever you find them including the world famous dognation.com we are just very happy to have you as a part of our program here today and a big thanks to our friends at engineered solutions of georgia for making it all possible you know uh, engineered solutions of georgia longtime friends of ours here on dog nation daily and also proud partners of uga there as well and i always love those folks who've been with us for as long as they've been with us you know great loyal supporters of ours i love our relationship with engineered solutions of georgia and i'm proud to tell their story in our program each and every day there as well or each and every week i should say because of their longtime support for uga 
too. It's just fun to do business with those that support the dogs, and I'm all about that when it comes to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Plus, as a homeowner, there are a lot of things that ESOG can do for you that you got to be aware of there as well because the signs of maybe needing Engineered Solutions of Georgia to come out and pay a visit to your house those are the types of things that you ought to be able to notice. For instance, if you're, you know, in the house and you see that sheetrock and you see kind of that 45 degree angle kind of crack there, when you see something like that, I want you to, when you see that, I want it to be a trigger in your mind that BA said that might be a reason to call Engineered Solutions of George. Or you kind of look at your brick on the outside of the house. You see sort of those like stair step cracks where it kind of, you know, goes through like the masonry, I guess you'd call it. And you kind of see those stair step looking cracks. Once again, that's maybe a sign of a settlement issue, uh, a sign of a foundation type issue that our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia need to see about. And, you know, if you've got that water coming into the basement, you know, that's the type of thing that you want to get seen about right away. And oftentimes these fixes, these these problems are not you know nearly as uh, hard to fix as you might imagine, especially for a solutions based company like Engineered Solutions of Georgia, which is what they are. They can provide that kind of work for you. They got an entire team of engineers on staff that can be put to work dedicated to solving your problem there's really nobody else in our marketplace that has that level of resource ready to work for you and solve your problems related related to foundation waterproofing issues but that is what they're all about they also have a fully transferable triple protection warranty on materials installation and design uh so that is what our friends at engineered solutions of georgia are all about so make sure you give them a call 678 esog now that's 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes, it's going to be Connor Riley. We'll talk some Georgia football with him. I'll also give you an update on a great giveaway that we're doing right now. Wonderful contest promotion we have, courtesy of our friends at Traeger Grills and Kroger. We'll do an update on that here coming up in just a couple of minutes. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse here for a moment. And there's a recent interview that Kirby Smart did with a podcast, a little bit of a different type of thing that we normally hear from uh, Kirby Smart. And I think it's really interesting. It's called the Growth Project. And I guess the guy that runs the Growth Project is a guy that's sort of done some work with the Georgia program, you know, sort of that business coaching or mindset, you know, coaching type stuff. And so that's the relationship that Kirby Smart has uh, with the guy that, that does the show. I'm going to put a link to the podcast when I post the show at dognation.com a little bit later on, because I honestly think if you're a Georgia fan, or if you're just sort of interested in like human achievement, uh, an interview like this is probably worth your time. I do think it's really interesting. I'll probably over the course of the next couple of days, I may end up playing a couple of clips from this, but I want you to make sure you hear the full interview because I think it's uh, that much worth your time to be able to do so. But around the doghouse here for a moment, I wanted to kind of highlight uh, one thing in particular for today. And it's kind of funny, you know, here we are sitting here in summer of 2023 it starts to feel like that summer of, you know, 2016, prior to the start of the Kirby Smart era, all of that starts to feel like a long time ago now. You sort of blink your eyes and realize how much time has passed. And I guess we're kind of at that point now where the beginning of the Kirby Smart era does sort of start to feel like a little bit of a long time ago. And it's kind of hard to imagine Kirby Smart as that rookie head coach the way that he was then just given the way that he's kind of grown into the role as UGA coach now I believe and I think there's plenty of evidence to support this that Kirby Smart is currently the best coach in college football now will he ever you know rise to the level of being like a Nick Saban someone you might say is the greatest coach of all time well obviously that remains to be seen but for the moment for now has Kirby Smart overtaken not just Saban but every other coach in college football uh I think you can for now say that's the case but way back in 2016 
It was not obvious that we would be heading in this direction, and it certainly was not obvious that we'd be heading this direction quite so quickly. There was clearly optimism about Kirby Smart. No one would deny that. But in terms of being able to guarantee, hey, Kirby Smart's going to take over college football within less than the span of a decade, there just weren't necessarily a lot of people saying that there at that particular time, that Kirby Smart was the guy who had no head coaching experience. And figuring out how he'd step into and feel what sort of felt like pretty big shoes for a previous coach like Mark Richt, who had won 10 games with regularity, won a couple of SEC championships, that was all very much a very prominent conversation at the time. So when Kirby Smart was on the Growth Project podcast, he talked about that, of you know, I started my coaching career, he would say, at Valdosta State, and kind of bounce around here, bounce around there, finally at Alabama for a good while. And then the chance to become a head coach comes up. And Kirby Smart on this growth project interview talked about the process of maybe considering taking other jobs before finally landing at Georgia. This is interesting from Kirby because oftentimes it doesn't quite get so introspective and so willing to kind of go back and sort of relive moments from the past but on the growth project podcast kirby did here he is talking about taking the georgia job oh i was ecstatic i mean it was it was one of those moments that you feel like everything you've worked towards in in your life is right in front of you and and i can't say that i aspire to be the head coach at georgia i aspired to become a head coach I never had to label Georgia. Like, it never even crossed my mind. I mean, I people think that that was, like, targeted. It was never that way for me. It was, you know, I mean, I interviewed for Southern Miss. I interviewed for Auburn. I interviewed for jobs while I was in Alabama, and I turned down a lot of interviews for jobs that I was not interested in. I wanted to take a job that I knew I could win at that was a, a solid program, no matter what level. Like, Southern Miss is a really good football program, and they're competitive in their conference. I, I, my, my designation was, can they win their conference championship? If they can win their conference championship, it's probably a good job. But when the Georgia one came about, it was just like, wow, this is maybe too good to be true. The timing of this, I've waited patiently. I've turned down a lot of good opportunities. Here's a great opportunity. And in the back of your mind, it goes back to that 24-year-old Kirby of being defense coordinator. Are you ready? You know, because mm-hmm. you haven't done that yet. You haven't been in that seat yet. And no matter how much preparation you have, how many national championships you have, how many games you've called, there's nothing that can prepare you for that seat other than experience. I think it's fun and fascinating to hear that from Kirby Smart. And this is one of those sort of like summer days where you kind of have a little bit of time to kind of ponder some of this when in the fall time of year you're sort of busy thinking about the next game and we have stuff to talk about then that almost doesn't really give us the chance to sort of do some of this the way that we maybe we should but you know there's a thing in life called fake it till you make it and almost anyone who's ever successful has a certain period of hey I gotta fake it until I make it I don't mean being inauthentic or trying to be something that you're not I mean trying to kind of live into a role until you finally feel comfortable in that role that's just i think what a part of what life is and it's interesting to know that as i mentioned a moment ago when kirby first took this job there were a lot of questions about hey is he ready can he do this can this guy who's never been a head coach before can he be coached in the university of georgia because let's face it there's always a hot assistant every great coach in any sport at any time whoever the best coach in that sport is always has a number of assistants who will be attractive targets for other jobs but they don't always succeed you know it's not a guarantee that just because you hired the guy that uh has been the top assistant for the top coach that guy's going to succeed at your program even if he's you know an alumnus of that program no guarantee that's going to be a successful formula so there were plenty of people at the time asking can Kirby Smart do this is he ready and it's interesting to hear that moment of vulnerability from Kirby that moment of honesty for from him 
where he says at the same time everyone was else was asking am i ready can i do this kirby says i was also asking this of myself am i really ready am i ready to take on this role a bigger larger role than i've ever been in before and to kirby's credit while he was asking that of himself and while he was maybe sort of dealing with some of the self-doubt that you just sort of naturally assume would be a part of all of this while he was doing all of that he never really let it show on the outside he projected a veneer of confidence on the outside while he was questioning himself on the inside i think that's really fascinating the other part of that clip that i think is really fascinating there as well is the idea that kirby pretty clearly had a plan for what he wanted his life to be you know he pretty clearly had the idea of the kind of job that would be a good job the kind of place where you could win a conference championship the kind of place that gave you a realistic chance at success saying that you know it wasn't necessarily just george or bust for me because from kirby's standpoint just given how much mark rick had won maybe he never reasonably thought the george job might even come available during the span of time in which he was looking to be a head coach the kirby had waited been patient but i think he also knew you can't wait forever you eventually have to sort of strike and pick a job and go to work and I think that Kirby was very close to doing that. And it just so happened the Georgia job sort of fell in his lap and happened to uh, to come open. And he got a chance to probably fulfill a dream that he didn't even maybe always even know was even that all that realistic. Well, I, just, I think it's all really fascinating. And then in terms of kind of moving into the operation of being a head coach for the first time, what Kirby felt confident about, what Kirby sort of was not quite so sure about once again rare moments of real introspection from Kirby about all of this from the growth project let me let you hear one more clip of Kirby talking about those early days as UGA coach the the defensive side of the ball I was very comfortable with I knew what I wanted I knew what we wanted to do I questioned would I be able to do it and still take that other seat that was the million dollar question are you going to try to you know, spend all your time on defense and, and, and not be the head coach you need to be? Or are you going to have somebody that you trust and show confidence in and let them do it? That's the way I ended up going with Mel Tucker, who was incredible because he knew exactly what we wanted. He thought like I thought. He had been with Nick in the same system. So it, it worked out great to get him. And the second part of that would probably be, I guess, what you were the least confident about. I think at the time, I didn't know. I was nervous about getting in front of the team and didn't know exactly how I do. I was like, well, I'll just re- refer back to my defensive coordinator days. And I was always in front of the defense every day. I had to give a presentation in front of the defense. So that's just doubling the number of people. But it was something about the weight or burden of, okay, the team's looking at you. Like they're, they're counting on you for leadership. Every day they need you to be at your best. So I think that's good stuff from Kirby Smart. And I want to kind of circle back to the beginning part of that for a moment when he says, the one thing I knew I had was I knew I had my defense. And I knew that I knew the kind of unit I wanted to install and the kind of system we wanted to run. I sort of knew that I had that. And I don't want you to gloss over that. I really don't. Because there's a quote from Bill Belichick that sometimes I think about where he says, like, the thing that people kind of underrate about football is the actual football part or something along those lines where he's like, you know, the actual nuts and bolts of coaching football, the actual understanding of football is a really important part of all of this. And I want to make the comparison to Dabo Swinney here for a moment. I'm not trying to take a shot or take a jab or anything like that. But right now we are questioning and wondering after a couple of national championships, something, by the way, that Kirby Smart just won. We're sort of questioning and wondering. Is Dabo Swinney still leading a playoff-level, national championship-level program at Clemson? Is he still doing that? And we're going to find out here in the 2023 season how true that is, how much of that really is. And if the program has slipped, one of the things that obviously 
you know causes Dabo a little bit of issue is he was never a coordinator he was a wide receivers coach he's always kind of been sort of the rah-rah culture guy the kind of guy that sort of creates the right atmosphere for winning but Dabo's not rolling up his sleeves and providing a lot of to use the Bill Belichick line again the actual football part of coaching very much he wasn't a coordinator wasn't an offensive coordinator he's always leaned heavily on like a Brent Venable style defensive coordinator or a number of offensive coordinators over the years he's needed those guys to be successful by comparison you know Kirby Smart's always got that component piece that building block that he can make sure that if worse comes to worse I know I can roll up my sleeves and coach this defense I've got the actual football knowledge to be able to do that I'm not just contributing to culture I'm not just influencing the mood around the program I can actually do the actual coaching on that side of the ball if I really need to and you shouldn't discount the importance of all of that and then the flip side of that is if Kirby says well I was that confident about my defense he also knew he had to outsource some of the offensive stuff and over the years the hires that Kirby has made have gone a long way towards contributing to that success starting with a guy like Sam Pittman as your offensive line coach and then sort of picking an a, a, a offensive coordinator to work with him and then eventually making the transition to Todd Munkin you know knowing that the defensive side of the ball is going to be Kirby's strength choosing the right guys to have on the other side of the ball obviously a clear part of why Georgia's had the success that it's had we'll probably do some more of this growth project stuff here over the course of the next couple of days but I really would encourage you to go listen to the full podcast because it's about 40 minutes of Kirby Smart in a way that you don't often hear from him all right we're gonna get Connor, Connor Riley here coming up in just a minute prior to that though, let me give you a reminder that we are a few days left in a wonderful contest promotion we've had going on here at dognation.com where someone's going to be a winner of a Traeger Ironwood XL grill and a $500 gift card courtesy of Kroger now here's all you have to do to be the winner you can go to dognation.com. You can upload a photo, photo or a short video. And it's simply a story about someone in your life or someone you've known, whether it be someone from your family's past or someone currently in your community, an American hero. And I'm talking about an average, everyday American hero, someone who's taking that extra step, kind of going above and beyond to make life better for you or people around you or whatever. This is a simple thing where you simply tell that story and that could make you a winner courtesy of Traeger Grills and Kroger. The Traeger Ironwood XL Grill, that's $2,000 value. The Kroger $500 gift card, great way to make sure you've got food to go on that grill and use the great Traeger Grills to cook all that up as we head towards the 4th of July and all the fun stuff we have going on here during this summer time of the year. You've got between now and June 17th to get in on this and uh, get your uh, story told so you can be a winner. So make sure you go to dognation.com. You can find all the rules and everything else, the details there on that. But the main thing is go there, upload your photo, share your short video, and by doing so, you could be a winner, courtesy of Traeger Grills and Kroger. More on that at dognation.com. All right, before we're done here, kind of a nice moment uh, yesterday for a former UGA athlete, kind of putting himself into a little bit of a rare category. We'll celebrate that before we are all said and done. I'm going to make a comparison between Georgia and one of its SEC rivals based on some recent decisions the programs the athletic departments have made. We'll do that here, there as well. But for now, on everything going on around UGA, including what is next for Georgia recruiting, let's cover all of that with Connor Riley here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So a lot to talk to Connor Riley about. We always enjoy the chance to do that. Connor, it's been a fun time for Georgia recruiting 
as of late. You got the uh, Chauncey Bowens decision over the weekend, flipping away from the Florida Gators. And one of the things I told our audience yesterday, Connor, is if you're a Georgia fan, you've gotten very used to this lately. You've seen Georgia win a lot of games in the field against Florida. You've seen a lot of recruiting battles go Georgia's way, including some outright flips like uh, Bowens here right now. And to me, this is the kind of thing that UGA fans shouldn't take for granted. You know, Florida is this program's traditional rival, and no matter what form the SEC schedule takes in the future, Georgia's always going to play Florida. So the level of dominance UGA's established over the Gators, Chauncey Bowen's the latest example of that. Boy, that's a valuable commodity, I believe, for Georgia right now in this past weekend, just the latest example of that. Yeah, I think Georgia's at a point now where Florida was in the 90s with Steve Spurrier against Georgia, where it just seemed like every year Georgia was going to go name the score, or Florida was going to go name the score and put it on Georgia. And now, you know, to see that flipped, I'm sure, you know, people like you, the chief gator hanger among us, you know, that's, hmm. that's made people pretty happy and something that I think certainly shouldn't be overlooked because, as uh, you know, any longtime Georgia fan knows, it has not always been guaranteed this way. Heck, even going back to my time in college, you know, the, the 2014 and 2015 losses are right up there with some of the worst losses of the past decade that this Georgia program has suffered. So, you know, to go in there, to beat them the manner in which they have in the non-pandemic years, and then just to continue to steamroll them in recruiting in a way where Billy Napier was brought in because they thought he was going to make recruiting easier. And when, you know, Florida goes and takes, or when Georgia goes and takes the fifth best Florida prospect, and he now becomes the 12th best prospect in Georgia class, Georgia's class, to, to quote Charles Barkley or paraphrase him, I don't know much about Billy Napier, but I know Billy Napier is in trouble. <laughs> well, that's the thing is the fact that you're not talking about a series of failed coaches for Florida if the Napier stuff does not change here pretty soon. You know, the Jim McElwain was supposed to be better than it was. Dan Mullen at one point in time was celebrated as one of college football's top coaches. That seems laughable now. And Billy Napier was supposed to be the retort to that. He was supposed to be, you know, you always seem like you want to go opposite style-wise from your previous coach. And Napier was supposed to be, in some respects, the opposite style-wise to Dan Mullen. And yet, thus far, the results look very, very similar. Now, listen, Napier's a sharp guy, talented guy. Maybe he changes that over the course of the next couple of seasons. We'll certainly see. But to me, that's the most poignant part of what Georgia has been doing to Florida. Chauncey Bowen's the latest example of that is thus far Billy Napier, who was kind of the sort of the hot shot next big thing when hired away from Louisiana Lafayette. Thus far, he has been just sort of powerless to change most of this. Yeah, you know, I think Billy Napier, I think at this point, I'm willing to say made sort of a tactical mistake in that, like, he came in and said, we're going to build this slow, we're going to build this the quote-unquote right way. And the reality is you just can't do that in college football. You need to show immediate process, immediate results. I talked about this on my show on, on Friday or on Sunday night, rather. Florida's over-under for the season is five and a half games. If they go, you know, five and seven, which you know, on Vegas is quite, is, you know, quite a possibility, especially with the schedule that they play, two years in, you've won 11 games. Georgia won 13 games in Kirby Smart's second season. Yeah. So, you know, you've seen quick turnarounds. Uh, USC – you know, got to a New Year's Six Bowl last year. Uh, TCU got all the way to the national championship year one under a new coach. Brian Kelly made big strides in a program in LSU that I think was in similar disarray when he came in there. And so, you know, this idea that you're going to, you know, make it a slow change and, and try and do that, especially when you're trying to chase down a behemoth in Georgia, I, I, it, it was a tactical choice that I understand had to be made a certain way given where they were coming out of the Dan Mullen era. 
But I think we're already starting to see some of the cracks in the foundation that have been laid there. And, you know, unless the wheels completely fall off this season and they go 3-9 and nine or 2-10, and 10, something like that, Napier's going to get a third year. But there'll be almost no momentum with that. And it'll have been hard to see really any, you know, positive progress two years into his regime, which is not what you want to be doing when the team you're most concerned about competing against, Georgia, a team you're going to be playing every year, even in a 16-game SEC, has won back-to-back national championships and is the favorite to do it again in 2023. So I talked before you joined us about what seems obvious with Georgia recruiting right now. It seems like they are poised to land more commits here very, very soon. You know, you talk about another running back like Nate Frazier out of California. It seems like this is sort of an interesting athlete. I would say I'd kind of put him – I'm not saying he's a he's a you know complete replica of a Dwight Phillips, but it seems like Georgia's kind of valued athleticism in this class with the running back spot. With uh, Dwight Phillips, I would say that Frazier's a little bit like that if he indeed does join up here really soon. It seems like Georgia made some nice strides with Jordan Thomas, defensive lineman out of, uh, out of New Jersey here. Uh, so it, it sounds like George is poised to land more players. And conversely, it sounds like, hey, you know, guys that we sort of thought were a little bit of long shots right now, like the Mike Matthews or the Edric Houstons, even though they're in-state, it sounds like, based on what Jeff Sintel has written at DogNation.com, that is still just as true as ever. Is that kind of the sense that you get with this class right now, that there are guys about to pop here, there are guys about to make their announcement, but in some respects, some of those big-name in-state guys, they seem like they're kind of heading other places. Yeah, there's two sort of ways I'm viewing this recruiting class right now. One, you know, the three big positions for me in this class is Georgia had to land and do well in quarterback, running back, and defensive line. They've absolutely hit it out of the park with quarterback. They were, I think, well on their way to doing it with running back, uh, you know, with the addition of Bowens, with already having Dwight Phillips. And if they land Nate Frazier, that's checked that box there. And then defensive line, you know, obviously they need bodies, but they need talent as well. That's what makes, I think, a guy like Edric Houston so important. And it just sort of seems like he wants to leave the state. And it seems like there are quite a few guys like that. Mike Matthews, uh, it's obviously a very talented crop at the top this year, whereas I would point out it was not this deep uh, a season ago in the 2022 cycle. But you know, Georgia's probably going to end up with the number one recruiting class, and there are also probably going to be people grumbling about how you didn't land five-star Mike Matthews out of Parkview. You didn't land five-star Edward Houston out of Buford there. Uh, you didn't land Sammy Brown out of Jefferson. You didn't land Landon Thomas out of Colquitt, or Colquitt as you like to say. I would just encourage those people to go back and look at the 2021 recruiting class where Georgia landed two of the top 20 players in the state that year. Tate Ratledge and Broderick Jones. Those were the only two top 20 guys that were in the state. All 20 of those guys were top 200 guys, guys you would have wanted in the Georgia class. Georgia still finished with the number one recruiting class that year. And a lot of the guys they ended up signing, Jalen Carter, Keely Ringo, Darnell Washington, Kendall Milton, those out-of-state recruiting wins, were huge reasons Georgia just won back-to-back national championships. So while we understand that there's an importance and a want from the fan base to see, you know, homegrown talent, guys from the state of Georgia, I mean, the reality is Gwinnett is such a transient nature. You know, Gwinnett County, Fulton County, you could say Cobb County as well. These guys don't grow up Georgia fans, whereas you look at some of the other parts of the state where, you know, you think Trayvon Walker from Thomaston, Georgia. You think, like, Shmaw Mundin out from Balding. Those areas of the state, it is just a little bit different, and I think it does in those aspects mean more for those guys to come play for Georgia. I want to shift gears here. You've written a couple of very interesting stories as of late about the Georgia defense, and Connor, I'll tell you, I'm very high on this Georgia defense here this year. Realize Jalen Carter isn't here anymore, and you're still talking about five first-round picks lost off the 2021 defense, but... I get the sense this 2023 unit has a chance to really craft an identity of its own. Sounds like ESPN 
is touting them as of late. I think that's rightly so. There's still some unanswered questions, I would say. You know, still some things we need to figure out. And some of that requires guys stepping up and stepping into a bigger role here. But boy, I really like the potential of what I think this Georgia defense could be. In fact, not hard for me to imagine that this year's unit completely outpaces what the 2022 defense uh, proved capable of doing. Uh, What's your outlook for the Georgia defense here right now? Yeah, I I think it's sort of an inverse of where this defense was a season ago, where last year they had the high-end stars, Jalen Carter, Chris, Chris Smith, Keely Ringo, I would count in that fashion there. But they weren't as experienced, and there were questions about how deep it was in certain spots. Right now, entering this season, you feel good about the depth that they have along the defensive line, at inside linebacker, at quarterback. I think one of the, the areas for me are who are the guys that go on to become true stars, guys like N'Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis, guys not just Georgia fans know, but the entire country knows. They know that they are the best players in the country at those positions. Can Jamon Dumas Johnson and Shmuel Munden go from nice players that all Georgia fans like and all Georgia fans know are good, can they do that to where everyone in the nation knows they are that good? Can Michael Williams make a leap to where he is an elite defensive lineman sooner than either like Jalen Carter, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, any of them ever did? Because as talented as he is and as much as he showed as a freshman, you know those Jalen Carter and Trayvon Walker and Jordan Davis didn't become who they were until year three. In some cases, year four in the program. He's only going to be entering his second season. You know, Kamari Lasseter is a guy a lot of people like. Uh, Javon Bullard showed some nice things, and Malachi Starks did as well over the course of last season. Can they do that like Chris Smith did over the course of a 15-game season? I think those are sort of the questions that I have with this defense. And then ultimately, the one stat that you sort of keep your eye on, or at least I'm going to judge this defense by, how many points do they give up? You know, they gave up 10 points per game last year or in the 2021 defense. It was, you know, a big reason why they're the number one defense that season. Last year, that went up to 14 points per game, and that was good for fifth in the country. And if you remove the two college football playoff games, Georgia would have led the country in points per game allowed. So, you know, that's sort of the standard that which they are now judged at, where you're giving up less than two touchdowns a game. Can you do that? Can you, you know, get that closer to a touchdown and a field goal rather than just two touchdowns? Uh, it's certainly on the table, especially with the fact that I don't think they play a lot of great offenses this season, mm-hmm. but they're ultimately going to have to go out there and actually do it. Yeah, there's an interesting parallel between Georgia in 2021 and Georgia in 2022 from this respect that both those units kind of showed you that no matter how great you are against a great offense, it can still be hard to truly limit those teams. You know, Georgia had its issues against Alabama in the SEC Championship in 2021, had its issues against Ohio State in the National Semifinal in 2022, but there were also instances which Georgia did shut down truly great offenses in both of those seasons. National Championship against Alabama in 2021. Uh, I would say the Tennessee game in November where Georgia completely rendered any chance they had of being effective they just completely you know they they rendered that an impossibility and if you're talking about you know true judgments of the 2023 defense that's also what it's going to come down to I agree you know how many points do you allow overall is going to be a big question but how much do you limit the best offenses that you play when you eventually do play them whether it's SEC championship or Tennessee on the road in November or you know whatever comes in the college football college football playoff you know how much can you as a great defense do to limit the great offenses that you eventually do play that's also going to become the big measuring stick before this season is done as well right and let's point out here the number one pick in the draft, Bryce Young, and the number two pick in this last draft, C.J. Stratton, was really the only quarterback that had significant success against this Georgia defense. And there's a reason those two guys were the first two players in the draft. It also helps them that they had 
what will have been multiple first-round wide receivers, Jamison Williams for Alabama, obviously Marvin Harrison Jr., and I think Emeka Obuka for Ohio State are going to be that in the 2024 NFL draft. So you need, obviously, the right combination of quarterbacks and wide receivers to do that. I think that's really been the only way you can have a pass forward to beating Georgia. You know, they are so dominant against the run, and that's what really I think hurt Tennessee was that they just they couldn't run the ball at all, and that thus couldn't set up their passing game. You need to have a passing game that can survive on its own, independent of the ability to run the football. Because, you know, even Ohio State, they scored 41 points, and they did it mostly without a running game that day. So you need to have, I think, quarterbacks and wide receivers that are able and capable of making plays, even when another area is going to be shut down. Because I think with what you've seen from this Georgia defense, even, you know, with all the turnover they've had in the last three, four, five years, They've always been elite at stopping the run. That's just always something Georgia, I think, now has definitely earned the benefit of the doubt of. You know, until you see a team consistently, or a Georgia team consistently give up a big rushing game, you're just going to have to believe that the only way to beat them is to win and succeed while throwing the football. Uh, I want to finish with this topic. You wrote a really good story about Tate Rattledge the other day, and it, what it kind of reminds me of is we have told the story of Georgia's national championship so much and kind of cited this and cited that as the reasons why the success has taken place. But even with all of that, Connor, I still don't think proper attention has been paid to how good the Georgia offensive lines have been in the last two seasons. I think it is far and away the most underrated aspect of Georgia's championship seasons. And I do think that once again, you have Georgia set up, I think, you know, based on the way the left tackle competition played out this spring, adding to that where the Georgia offensive line once again looks like a really potentially dominant strength of this team Cedric Von Prahn coming back is a big part of that the emergence of Marius Mims is a big part of that a healthier Tate Ratledge uh, I think is, is a part of that and I'm excited about what I think this unit can be and I'm also very optimistic about Georgia overall just given my belief that a lot of the success that Georgia's had these last couple of seasons has really been pinned on the 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 success the offensive line has had in particular, and it sounds like uh, you know kind of the reemergence of Ratledge may be a good sign for this offensive line here again this year. This offensive line, the twenty twenty three one, has the least amount of questions about it. Just maybe that twenty nineteen offensive line, which you know was bookended by Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson. You know he had Solomon Kinley there at guard. You had a lot of talent uh, as well in terms of youngsters, Ben Cleveland, Cade Mays, et cetera. There aren't a lot of questions about this offensive line, and this was an offensive line a year ago. Look, I know Michigan won the Joe Moore Award, and the people that do that, they do a lot of research and information. It's got that wrong, and that's okay. It happens. But Georgia had the best offensive line in college football last year, and while, yes, they are going to have to replace longtime starters in Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon, you feel great about what you have in Amarius Mims, and then, you know, either Austin Blasky or Ernest Green, you know they're going to have to have earned it. And Georgia feels so good about what they have in that interior of the, uh, of the line there where it, it's a strength. In a way, it hasn't been, I think, for the last two seasons, certainly in 2021. That team, I, I think there were some questions about the guard positions. In the last year, it took a while for Xavier Trust and Tate Ratledge to sort of solidify those spots, and I would include Devin Willis there as well. Obviously, he's unfortunately no longer with us. Uh, thoughts and prayers to him and his family. And, and so the strength that they have in that offensive line, I think it's going to be – one of, if not the best position groups in the entire country this year. And when you have guys like Tate Rattledge and Cedric Van Pran, and even Amarius Mims, I would include this, because he did start both college football playoff games, they have that championship experience and pedigree. It's going to make a difference, certainly in those big games, especially when, you know, do teams like Ohio State, Alabama, et cetera, do they have the defensive line to be able to do the things that they need to do to, to, to make life difficult for Carson Beck or whoever that Georgia quarterback is going to be? 
I think with this offensive line, they might just be able to erase some of those questions. And to finish up here, I think the best example of why the Georgia offensive line has proven to be so important and why I believe it'll be so important again here this year is just look at the transfer portal activity around the offensive line. Connor, this is something we've talked about a lot here on our show, the contrast between Georgia and other programs when it comes to desperation to go out and grab whatever transfer lineman you could get. Look at Ohio State here for a moment. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be like anti-Buckeye, you know, whatever else. Ohio State fans will tell you this themselves. They were desperate for offensive linemen in the winter version of the transfer portal, and they weren't there. And they were desperate again in the in, in sort of the springtime version of this. They finally grabbed one. But the idea of getting the elite offensive tackle out of the transfer portal, it is basically an impossibility. Ohio State desperately needed to do it, and they kind of really weren't able to in the SEC. And I'm once again, I'm not trying to be funny. We saw Auburn go out and get an offensive lineman from Tulsa, and that was supposed to be a kind of a big move for them. Florida brought in an offensive lineman, I think, from FIU. You know, the transfer portal shows you the value of offensive linemen from the standpoint that the sort of ready-made starter that you can kind of pull from somebody else and plug onto your roster, that it probably exists less with offensive linemen in the portal than any other position and the fact that Georgia right now has at least three offensive tackles they feel good about the emergence of Monroe Freeling may give them a fourth I think that's the number one separation between Georgia and its chief competition is the level of depth that it has along the offensive line quality starters that it trusts certainly but better depth than anybody else that to me is the real uh, difference maker right now yeah we're still in the early stages of the transfer portal and seeing you know some long-term trends and things like that I think it's very clear it's very hard to find elite difference-making, either offensive linemen and defensive linemen, and to sort of tie this all into what we started with. You know, that's why Georgia recruits as well as it does. It hammers that offensive line and defensive line position. You know, we've talked so much here about guys, you know, that are going to start and play big roles for this team. Auburn would kill to have Dylan Fairchild. Florida would be doing backflips if they could get Michael Morris. And those are guys that are going to struggle to see the field this year. Uh, you know, Ohio State would probably love to have Jared Wilson on their roster. And those are guys that aren't going to play a big role, but Georgia not only has been able to develop them and land them as recruits, but keep them in the program and develop them to a point where, you know, they're in a spot where they'll be where you see like an Austin Blast who's entering his fourth year in the program and is a guy that is going to play a significant role, whether that is as a starting left tackle or not, we'll see. But he's going to play a lot of snaps for this team this year. And so the fact that Georgia is not only landing those guys as recruits, but now keeping them in the program to where Georgia, you know, depth has never been a, a position of concern when it comes to that offensive line there. I think that further illustrates, as you pointed out, why Georgia has been a national champion in the last few years, because they have had injuries on the offensive line, and it just hasn't seemed to matter. You know, Warren McClendon started 37 straight games. For it, to lose him for certainly the Ohio State game and then parts of the TCU game, it would have been catastrophic for a lot of, for a lot of teams and a lot of programs. Georgia simply plugged in Amarius Mims, and it was just fine. Connor, great stuff. I really appreciate your insight into Georgia football. I love reading what you're writing there at dognation.com, and we will look forward to speaking to you again next week here at the same time. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, B.A. Thank you, Connor. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I really do believe that. I think that the offensive line for Georgia has been so important these last couple of years. And so take those two points we just made with Connor. Hey, I think that Georgia's going to have the best defense in the country this year. I said that a moment ago. And I just said, I think that Georgia's going to have the best offensive line in the country. I think they're set up to be able to do that. Here's what I'm going to tell you, and this is overly simplistic, but sometimes simple points are the most accurate. If you give me the best defense and you give me the best offensive line, 
I'll take my chances with anything else. I really will. That's been the recipe for Georgia. Best defense, best offensive line. And you can do a lot around those two component pieces. So a lot of people are very optimistic about Carson Beck, which I think is fine. Some people have some questions about, hey, you know, new starter, how's that going to work? Put him behind the best offensive line in the country and see what kind of results it produces. Some folks would say, rightly so, we didn't see a lot from the Georgia running backs here this spring. Kendall Milton was banged up. Branson Robinson was banged up. Andrew Paul was still banged up. How good is the Georgia running back situation going to be? Fair question. Put those guys behind the best offensive line in the country and um and 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 what do you expect to see from them then at that point in time having the best offensive line is a luxury it is a invaluable luxury georgia may have it to go along with the great defense those could be building blocks again for another very special season here for uga speaking of special times obviously we had one back in april all with dog nation we went on our second ever cruise with dog nation so much fun and i still think about that all the time have great memories of that and it's only a reminder to me how much I'm looking forward to my next Royal Caribbean cruise vacation because I've got one coming up here in a couple of weekends taking my family on a cruise and my full family my brother and his wife and kids my mom just a really special thing we're going to be able to do together and I'm just looking forward to it so much and you guys know by now how much I believe you would also enjoy your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation whether you're taking one for the first time or taking one for the next time whatever your story is on this it's time now to get booked up and it's not too soon to start thinking about January of 2024 and the debut of Icon of the Seas what I love about Royal Caribbean is so much in so many ways they're kind of redefining what a cruise vacation means and Icon of the Seas is going to be the next iteration of all this now there's also amazing stuff kind of coming from Royal Caribbean over the course of the next couple of years that I think is going to just sort of blow people's minds in terms of what cruises have been before and what they're about to be both in terms of what happens on the ship and then the destinations you go to when you arrive in port uh, I just think that Royal Caribbean's got some great stuff coming up in the future here but uh, Icon of the Seas is the sort of next big thing to know here for right now so call Jessica Slater uh, let her help you out with all this great travel agent 770-718-9147 770-718-9147 Jessica's a good friend so make sure you tell her I said to take good care of you give you the best deal give you the best experience the best insight on what to do whether it be perfect day coke okay or one of these uh you know you know whatever your situation is it's time to get ready to enjoy a great royal caribbean cruise vacation jessica slater is a great travel agent she can help you with all that so call her 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 she will take care of you here today all right let's do a couple of stories here for a moment one of these i meant to get to yesterday just didn't really have time so ross dellinger from sports illustrated had a very interesting story the other day looking at the current situation of nil and one thing in particular that could cause a little bit of a complication so what dellinger writes is is that the irs that's the internal revenue service says that nonprofit nil collectives offering tax deductions could be illegal dellinger saying that the irs chief counsel that's a lawyer says that donations made to the 501c3 collectives quote are not tax exempt because their benefits are not incidental to exempt purposes that's a lot of fancy language to say if you have thought in the past of an nil donation as a charitable contribution in most cases you could be very disappointed to find out how not true that is now this complicates what i believe is already a complicated manner a matter and you know we're pro nil we like the idea of players being able to cash in but the one concern we've expressed many times is for every hundred stories you hear about nil demand 
players who want to cash in on their name image likeness programs who want to provide that to players as a way of enticing and incentivizing them to come play at whatever school we're talking about for every 100 stories you seem to hear about nil demand it sort of feels like you hear one story about nil supply and to me there's a lot of media outlets out there who've kind of sort of staked their claim on we're going to cover nil better than anybody else but i still sort of feel like no one is covering this aspect of nil enough where is the nil supply coming from where is the money coming from and if you're a rich guy and you're sort of used to making donations to big state you in the past to sort of fund the facilities and things like that and you've been used to them being tax deductible the idea that now they're saying well instead of giving to the weight room so we can build a brand new weight room and put a waterfall in the weight room why don't you uh, give to the nil stuff oh yeah but by the way what used to be a tax donation uh, a tax deductible donation to the nil collective that's not tax deductible anymore because this is sort of a more for-profit type uh entity here that's a lot to swallow for a lot of the big donors who've made a name for themselves by giving to their alma mater in the past and it just sort of stands to reason that when you don't get tax incentives for giving away that money there may be less incentive to want to give away some of that money we talked about this a year ago even longer than that uh for as long as nil has been in our life we were kind of warning you that the act of giving to an nil collective was going to be very different than the act of giving away you know things you know to the athletic department for the facilities enhancements and things like that and the difference was not going to be seen as beneficial for the guys and the gals who were kind of giving that money here's the next thing that i think is coming because we told you this was coming a year ago and now it is here's the next thing that i think is coming we're going to find out that a lot of these nil collectives are kind of operating like tech startups they're kind of operating like technology companies like if you follow like the streaming wars between like say netflix and disney plus and things like that what you know is is that these big streamers spend big bucks as a way of becoming kind of ubiquitous if they feel like well if we can sort of spend enough like netflix puts out like several hundred new shows a year uh disney puts out fewer new shows but they spend big on those shows if you ever watch some of those star wars things like the mandalorian things like that you know they're spending big to make these what they think of uh, as, as very impactful television series that make people want to be subscribers to their to their streaming uh service they are kind of spending at a huge deficit right now because they're just trying to make themselves a part of people's lives and i think we're going to kind of find out that some of the same stuff has been true for some of these nil collectives as well this is just my suspicion this is just my hunch but i believe we're going to find out and eventually over the course of the next year you're going to hear this that a lot of collectives are giving out more money than they're taking in and eventually as you know that's going to be a problem it seems to be a problem for everything except for the government but eventually the idea of giving out more money than you take in is going to probably be a problem and my guess is we're going to hear more about collectives who've done that in the very near future that they want to establish themselves as a player in the industry they want to establish themselves as a trusted source for players who want money and so therefore they're giving a lot out and in some cases, we're going to find out that some of these collectives are giving out more than they are taking in, which once again sort of circles back to what I said before. We just need more reporting and more understanding about where the supply of NIL money is coming from. 
if you can't make a donation to an NIL collective and have it be tax deductible, then what does that do to the sort of, you know, supporter, you know, booster? What does that do to to him in terms of how much he wants to give to these NIL collectives going forward? And, you know, we've kind of come to grips with the idea that the kind of the brand advertisers, the big companies that were really supposed to be the number one source of NIL to begin with, they're just not getting involved for their own reasons, whatever those reasons are. They're just not really doing that in a huge way here right now so if they're not doing it then where is the nil money going to come from uh, i think those are big questions to be asked moving forward i'm not anti-nil i hope the players get their chance to, to cash in but sort of figure out who's providing the cash for the players to cash in that's one of those things that i still don't think we've investigated not nearly enough we had our final two spots in the college world series filled out last night uh wild ending to the stanford texas game where you hate it for the texas outfielder just lost the ball in the lights i mean it was a walk-off win for stanford on one of the strangest sets of circumstances you'll ever see so stanford punches its ticket there with its super regional win tennessee goes on the road to southern miss and there's so much whining about tennessee having to be on the road here for this series ultimately they do win the game and actually you know pretty impressive fashion to be honest with you i don't like tennessee baseball but they were impressive last night kind of holding off uh southern miss down there in hattiesburg so tennessee joins the rest of the sec contingent on its way here to the college world series so it's been a fun baseball postseason here thus far college world series now set another sec team added in on that we saw that last night i'll also say this you know today the new george baseball coach wesley john's going to be introduced to the media and i think it provides an interesting contrast when another sec team here has done where Alabama obviously you know the embarrassment there where they needed to kind of hire a new full-time baseball coach and they've done so by bringing Rob Vaughn Vaughn most recently the Maryland coach uh you know it's been a regular fixture in the NCAA regionals been I think Big Ten coach of the year a couple times here I don't believe he's made it out of an NCAA regional yet so it's not a grand slam no pun intended you know uh successful hire necessarily for Alabama but this is an experienced head coach I think it'll be interesting to see how much they're paying Vaughn to leave Maryland to come to Alabama and it draws a sharp contrast with the Georgia hire of Johnson who up until this point in time has a great reputation in baseball worked in major league baseball been a very important part of a lot of good very you know good teams including LSU here this year but up until now has not been a head coach I think the contrast between Alabama's doing with Vaughn what Georgia's doing in uh Johnson could be uh pretty interesting here and you know kind of hearing you know what it was about Johnson that drew George to him in comparison to a guy like Vaughn who's a you know a, a sitting experienced head coach that could be an interesting contrast to pay attention to so we will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and speaking of other sports other than football which is obviously our main topic here around here for our golden shoe today we're going to give a shout out to a former georgia athlete who put himself in a little bit of a rare category last night golden shoe going out to contavious caldwell pope a part of the denver nuggets nba championship nuggets winning the nba title for the first time in their franchise history and for uh caldwell pope it becomes his second nba championship as a player that means that according to georgia basketball who put this out on twitter kcp now the 33rd player in, in, in nba history to win championships with multiple teams so very good there for contavious paul caldwell pope a part of a really fun denver nuggets team and a golden shoe going out to kcp for winning another nba title that is a great thing to be able to see how about a gator hater countdown dogs back in jacks will beating up on florida 137 days for right now we love that we love all of you as well we'll see you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by esog